Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Well, hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I am Andy Barron's coming to you from my usual lair here in Chicago. He is Scott Pianowski. He's coming to you from the greater Detroit area. Scott, hello. How are you? Uh, hanging in there, man. Um, not uh, not my usual ebullient um, self today. We're having some problems with our new puppy, Teddy, who's just become a terror. He's um, He's biting and chewing and demolishing everything in his path and uh, he's already gone through two trainers we, we may have a third trainer coming into the house this week so he just chewed anybody... up and spit out the trainers huh they're quitting yeah, on you he's chewing he's chewing spitting out us so it's um it's a sad day because i can see the the possibility that we might not be able to tame him and keep him and and you know i'm a dog loving person so um that's kind of got me a little distracted even in fact I'll, I'll let you behind the curtain here uh dear listener it even pushed back this podcast 30 minutes that's how destructive teddy was this morning so it's with a very distracted mind and distracted heart that i come to you this fine monday afternoon well you name your dog after teddy bridgewater these are the problems that you're going to take on uh yeah, i thought it, it was te- i thought it was teddy ball game right i thought it was yeah i was getting the ted williams you know there there goes the greatest hitter that ever that ever lived but um I am actually hosting two visiting dogs myself today. So the odds that we will make it through a podcast without uh, uh, some background dog noise are, are very low. Minimal. Well, this, is the Yahoo fantasy dog. this is the fantasy dog podcast. You know, this, um, <laughs> it very much we will is. be taking dog questions. We, you know, we're talking waiver wire today. So we were talking about, you know, dogs that you might want to add off the waiver wire <laughs> who are uh, freely available in at least 50 percent of Yahoo leagues. We do. We do have enough, I think, actually, for a dog draft uh, present on this podcast. Um, We are actually going to give you a little bit of a throwback pod today. uh, And I am looking forward to the idea here. Uh, It is to revisit last season's most successful and or most talked about waiver ads. Right. For those unfamiliar with our regular Tuesday morning routine around here during the season, Scott and I prioritize the week's hottest waiver ads for you. That's what we do generally, again, in season for the full year. Um, so this show is going to be a little bit of a look back. Um, and, and we're going to, we're going to, you know, not just recount who the top waiver ads were, but also try to spin it forward a little bit in terms of what they're going to do for us in 2022 or what we think they're going to do. 
Uh, some of these guys that we're going to talk about were way more successful than others, I should I should mention. And we're not going to, you know, we're not going to talk about a lot of the guys who just sort of bubbled up throughout the season. Yeah, they're out there. You could pick them up if you need to. The the Tim Patricks, the Jimmy Garoppolo's, the guys who were just sort of always on the list. We're hopefully going to talk about the guys who occasionally popped. So no, so no Michael Carter, no Michael Carter discussion on this podcast. This is probably, uh, we're probably not going to we're probably not going to hit Michael Carter. I don't, I don't know. You introduced him. You want to hit Michael Carter? You have thoughts on Michael Carter? I, I already have enough Jets talk in my life. Thank you. That's what I That's what I thought. Yeah, we're probably not going to hit Michael Carter on this podcast. Uh, probably not going to hit Corey Davis on this podcast. I, this, In fact, from this moment forward, let's make it a Jets-free podcast. There is one news item that I feel like, uh, I feel like maybe our producer, John, is just trolling me with this, but he threw the Steelers quarterback situation into the outline of the show, the official outline of the frickin' show. So now I got to talk about Mitch Trubisky a little bit. There was a report from The Athletic that Kenny Pickett was working with the third team offense in OTAs. Maybe they go into training camp this way. This is not really something that bothers me. This is sort of off-season noise in my world they drafted Kenny Pickett with their, their with their first round pick right they, they Pittsburgh is wonderful too by the way they like they're the they're the one team that is super predictable in first rounds Mike Tomlin um, actually reveals a fair amount to us perhaps more than than most other coaches and he does it without really giving up much of an advantage and Pittsburgh generally like we knew that Najee Harris was going to be the pick last year I think we kind of knew that Kenny Pickett was going to be the pick this year um, at some point Pickett is probably going to play unless things are really bad behind the scenes, right? He's their first round pick. He was the only first round quarterback. But right now, a little bit buried on the depth chart, perhaps this, again, could just be the usual offseason. In fact, it almost certainly is the usual offseason motivational garbage. Um, your thoughts on Kenny Pickett and or Mitch Trubisky in 2022? Yeah, the, the thing that's interesting here is that whoever does become their starter, for the majority of these games, I mean, he's throwing to Deontay Johnson, who's good. He's throwing to Chase Claypool, who's at times looked good. He's throwing to Pat Fryermuth, who had an interesting rookie year. They have Harris, who's off a good year. There's talent here. Um, you can squint and see. When I say there's talent here, I mean, for fantasy purposes, you know, is it super flex starter talent? Is it, you know, um, backup fantasy quarterback talent, that type of thing? Um, it's not like anybody's going to proactively draft into this quarterback situation. But it's interesting to see. It, it's so unusual when you have a team that has a quarterback who was there as long as Roethlisberger was. And you can argue that Roethlisberger maybe overstayed his usefulness for a couple of years. But that infrastructure has been here. It's, it's just it's just strange to think of it. It's almost like they changed the nickname of the team or something. I mean, they were Ben Roethlisberger Steelers, you know, since 2004. Um, I was on the, um, the lovely Minus 3 podcast with Dave Damashek last week and I was talking about how great that documentary is on the 1983 draft, the, the Elway draft where the yeah. six quarterbacks go in the first round. And, and Damashek made the point that he thought the 2004 draft was nearly as compelling, maybe as compelling. That's the year that Eli didn't want to play for producer John's chargers and <laughs> Phil Rivers was in that draft and, and Ben Roethlisberger was in that draft. And so maybe that, that would be a great documentary to revisit those guys. And we were even talking offline before we started. If, if is Roth is um, Roethlisberger's a hall of famer for sure, but is rivers a hall of famer. Eli's probably going to get in cause he's got the rings, but um, I, I, I think Pickett. Here, here's the thing. Okay. I think the Steelers are smart enough to realize, I think they can look at themselves objectively and say, we are not Super Bowl contenders this year. Maybe if things fell right, we could be a playoff contending team, maybe get into the bottom half of the draw. But their goal is to figure out 
where is the best entry point for Pickett? Is it September? I don't think it is. Is it October? Is it you know the last quarter of the season? Whatever it is, Trubisky's merely a placeholder um, and, until they decide that time. Although I'm not, you're gonna think I'm crazy because you're a Bears fan. I'm not willing to concede that like Mitch Trubisky is totally lost cause. Like he can't play. He was set up to fail. Just kind of like they're setting up Justin Fields to fail right now. I I don't think. Trubisky got a lot of help. Now, granted, he didn't have much of a resume. He only had that one year in college, and it just seems kind of silly that he went number two overall in the draft, given some of the other options later in that draft. But I don't know. I, I thought he was an interesting signing for them as a just to well, kick the tires and we'll see. But ultimately, the Steelers have an idea of when it makes sense to to give the reins to Pickett. I think it's going to be probably in the middle of the season. I don't think Pickett has any chance to start on the opening week. And and really for fantasy usefulness, I, I guess it comes down to how much is this muddy situation? Does it make you? I took Deontay Johnson in the MFL recently. I didn't love doing it. He was actually my best receiver. I didn't love that either. Uh, the draft fell a certain way where I had to take running backs in the first two rounds, which means I didn't get any of my big three receivers. That really kills me. Um, does this uncertain quarterback situation? What does it do to your interest in Deontay or this offense as a whole? Yeah, the the nice thing here, nice thing, maybe maybe nice thing is is too strong. Um, a thing here uh, that we need to note is that uh, you know, yes, uh, it's it's the first season without Ben Roethlisberger. In some ways, it doesn't feel like the first season without Ben Roethlisberger because, like the last couple of years, we just did not see vintage Ben at all. He was uh, almost a shadow of the the quarterback that you remember. Like you remember Ben Roethlisberger as the guy who would keep a play alive forever always looking deep, always looking for big shots, deep shots. Um, he was, I, I mean, he's going to the Hall of Fame in part because of how great he was uh, when he managed to extend a play and and some of the wonderful improvisational moments that he had like that. We just didn't see a lot of that in the last couple of years and his arm strength obviously played, a, a, injuries played a huge role in that. You know, I, I have to jump in and just say one thing, just, just to illustrate how NFL seasons age like dog years, okay? <laughs> The 2020 Steelers were the last team to lose in the NFL that year. That feels like a million years ago. <laughs> the undefeated, like 11-0, 12-0 Steelers, whatever yeah. they were, you know, just like Arizona last year. I, I've been saying this all offseason. People are going to look back and say, wait a minute, Arizona was the last team to lose in 2021? <laughs> or wait, wait a minute, the Tennessee Titans were really the right. AFC's number one seed last year? Right. Because it just feels like it was seven years ago. And it's just the way the NFL cycle, again, everything doesn't, the time doesn't make sense. Yeah, I so I I just I just doubt that you're going to feel this incredible uh, uh, decline in quality of play from the version of Ben that we saw last year to presumably Mitch Trubisky. Um, I'm not going to I don't have a lot of great things to say about Mitch. Um, and I think you covered most of the ground that would need to be covered with the Steelers. It's obviously it's a very good receiving core. I would throw George Pickens into that mix as well. Um, Ch- you know, Chase Claypool is one of the best athletes in the NFL right now. I don't know that he's a particularly good receiver. Um, he was a wild ride last year, you know, as somebody who who drafted a fair amount of Chase Claypool coming off a promising rookie year. I think it's fair to say that he was a huge disappointment last year, certainly relative to his athletic talent. He was a huge disappointment last year. The receiving core is fine. Deontay's really good. Deontay gets open off the snap of the football and is, you know, a, a really just a wonderful security blanket receiver for any quarterback. Also we, commands targets, which which is a skill. For I mean, sure. He had 169 targets last year. Commands targets because he's open immediately all of the time, right? Like, he's, Again, he's commands, really that good. speaks to when you command that type of target share, that, that almost makes him impossible to fail, I, it, no matter who the quarterback is. And last year, For sure. was, you know, it was a declining Roethlisberger, and Deontay was still just fine. 
Ab- absolutely. Um, I, I think the the issue with Mitch over the years, and look, Mitch has gone to the playoffs. Like he's been the quarterback of a playoff team that was very good in many other aspects. Um, your your issues with Mitch are that if anything goes off script, some really bad things can happen, right? Like if um, if his primary read is there, um, if he's if he's facing a, a like an unintimidating defense, a defense that. And this will often happen with Deontay, right? Like he's got a lot of, you know, they, between Najee Harris and Deontay Johnson, they can they can keep themselves in very manageable game situations a lot of the time, right? They can they can get themselves to second and short, third and short, very friendly downs for Mitch Trubisky. If if the primary read is there, good thing. Like Mitch can run your offense, and it's really good. If you need Mitch to improvise, he's just not going to be able to lead drives. Like he's just not going to be able to single-handedly you know play play clean football for like a quarter two quarters at a time he's got some rushing upside he's definitely got some physical traits that will play in the nfl i've never viewed him as a top 20 real life quarterback i don't think he is i i think it would be natural like he's not gonna he's not gonna string together like nine or ten great games in a row that make you say okay can he Kenny Pickett can't play. He's going to have to, you know, he, he's just going to have to be sidelined this entire season. I doubt that'll happen. But I also have a lot of doubts about Kenny Pickett. I mean, Kent, you mentioned Mitch as as a, you know, a guy who had one great year in college. Well, Kenny Pickett had one great year in college and it was it was his fifth year. And he did that with an absolute superstar receiver in Jordan Addison. So I, I don't like I don't know how much cre- like some I'm, I'm giving Kenny Pickett some credit for that. I'm not giving him 100 percent of the credit for, uh, you know, the, the brilliant fifth season. Like, I don't know. I'm not that bullish on Pickett either. I'm just I'm just not that bullish on either one of these guys. I do think that that the combination of these two quarterbacks might be able to get Pittsburgh eight or nine wins. I think the world of Mike Tomlin. So that is the extent of my bullishness about the Pittsburgh Steelers offense. I think Najee is an obvious first round pick. I think Deontay Johnson is a, is a pretty obvious uh, top 15-ish wide receiver one. Um, and that's as far as I'll go. So when you were talking about Trubisky, you know, being a quarterback who got to the playoffs, I was going to make a crack about, well, yeah, he had coach of the year, Matt Nagy, you know, skippering that ship. And so as you were talking, I went down a rabbit hole. I, I just decided to look at the page of all the different coaches of the year. By the way, Mike Tomlin has never been AP coach of the year, which is just mind-blowing to me. It just shows how much he gets penalized for being a, you know, a winning coach every year. And so the Steelers, because so often the coach of the year is this surprise team, the cuddly tinker toy team that came out of nowhere. Think, think also about what Mike Tomlin got out of Antonio Brown while Antonio Brown was a Steeler, oh what he got out of Le'Veon Bell while Le'Veon Bell was a Stealer. And then what immediately happened with, not the same situation with both players, but like what immediately happened with both guys as soon as they left. Maybe if somehow he can skipper this team into the playoffs, it may be one of those things where two-thirds of the way through the season, the articles of, hey, you know, Mike Tomlin's never been coach of the year. And look what he's done now when he's been handed this team that had no expectations put on it. And now they're, you know, they're nine and three and they're in first place in the division with, you know, three other good teams, three good teams and whatever the Cleveland Browns become. (laughs) But while Tomlin has never won coach of the year, Kevin Stefanski has, Matt Nagy has, Jason Garrett has. Um, You probably remember the Dick Dick Joran year very fondly, that 2001 team. Uh, The Bears, Dom Capers was a was a coach that Wayne Fonts was coach of the year. (laughs) And I will um, Wayne Fonts during the one the one big uh, Scott Mitchell year, right? Like the the huge Mitchell and Herman Moore year. Wow. Yeah, I think that's correct. 1991. Um, 
Herman Moore. Herman Moore is really good, by the way. Really good. I think people forget how, how good that guy was. I will, I get a way to tease you to keep you engaged to the rest of the podcast. Not that you couldn't look up this answer anytime you want to, but there's one coach of the year in the history of this award. And it's a modern coach of the year. This isn't going back to the fifties or sixties. There's only been one coach of the year who had a losing record. So I want you dear listener oh, wow. to think about that trivia question and we right. reveal the answer. Uh, at the end of this program, if I remember to reveal it. If not, you'll just look it up like everybody else. Okay, that's probably enough. Coach of the Year and Steelers talk. Uh, let's dive no, into last year's finest uh, waiver ads. Finest waiver ads? Sure, that's what they are. They're the, they're the finest waiver ads from 2021. We're going to talk a little bit about what we expect from them next season, in the coming season. Uh, and I got to I gotta tell you, it was very difficult to find even a single quarterback to discuss here. Uh, we'll start with the quarterback position. I feel like a lot of the guys that we talked about earlier in the year, um, we, you know, we've mentioned, I think in the last couple of pods, how Daniel Jones maybe showed some promise early on. Nothing really happened there. You know, we talked about Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance a handful of times last season during the, during the pickups podcast. Obviously we didn't get much of anything out of Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo never really had like a blow up week or anything like that. We just talked about a bunch of dudes, except early in the season, Derek Carr was available in a ton of leagues, and I'm going to tee you up on on Derek Carr here. He actually finished his season, not a huge touchdown total on the year, but over 4,800 passing yards, completed over 68% of his throws, had six game-winning drives on the year, led the Raiders into the playoffs. We've talked about it before during impossible circumstances, right? But just to remind people, his head coach was forced to resign. Uh, Henry Ruggs was arrested. Darren Waller was hurt uh, in the in the most critical weeks of the season. Right. It was just an absolute like nightmare scenario for the Raiders. And Derek Carr still landed the plane. You know, they gave Cincinnati everything they wanted in that in that first round playoff matchup. So Derek Carr coming off a really good a really good season, who now uh, has a, a substantially upgraded receiving core, perhaps as much as any quarterback in the league. Sure. And, you know, he has history with Devontae Adams. It goes back a few years, but they were a pinball machine. At Fresno State, so we feel good about that. The, the thing with and Devonte chose him, like Devonte chose Derek Carr over Aaron Rodgers. That is right. Yeah, it's not like the kicking and screaming. They they traded Adams to Vegas. He he said, "I want to go there," and broke up a, a top five all time quarterback receiver yeah. pairing. As far as I'm concerned, you know, it's um it's up there with just about anything. So the thing with Carr is he's the type of player you damn with faint praise a lot because. It, yeah, is he just good enough to lose with? Could you really go to a Super Bowl with him? Is he a purgatory quarterback? You look at his fantasy uh, end of season cumulative points ranking, and I realize that is not a perfect way to measure these guys, but he's been quarterback 14, 13, 16, 18, and 19 in the last five years. The one year he's kind of stepped out of that area where he generally ranks is in 2016 when he was quarterback 10, and he actually received six MVP votes. I don't. I don't mean like down ballot MVP votes. You only get one pick in your MVP ballot, and he got six of them. So that you know, tells you what people thought of Derek Carr back in 2016. But this is a really great. The, obviously, the best receiving group he's worked with. It already was decent because Renfro is a really good player, and Waller is a really good player. And now you add Adams. You have. I, I'm not bullish on Josh Jacobs for a lot of different reasons. Their offensive line has had problems with run blocking at times. So I think it was a little bit better last year. 
and you have a division. And I, I want to be careful with divisional matchups because you only get six of them. And one of them is always tucked into week 18, which will have no fantasy relevance anyway. So when we talk about division, the, the personality of division, we're talking about five games essentially for fantasy purposes. That said, it just looks like the AFC West is just going to be, okay, first team to 35 or first team to 40 wins a lot of these games. And Carr's good enough. He's above he's above the, the league average. You know, he's kind of like the AFC's version of Kirk Cousins, where you, you can never feel like he's like a magazine guy. He's, he's not going to be, oh, I guess they're home tonight. There are cars on TV. It's not that, but he's durable. He, he's, he's a good leader without, without maybe, maybe he doesn't have like you know, the Marino point or the, you know, he doesn't yell at people like Manny and Brady did, but I don't mean to talk in Brady in the past tense, by the way, I go listen to Frank and, and Liz talk about Brady. They did last week. And, you know, is this the year Brady does turn 45. He lost, man, he's lost a lot of his blocking and a lot of his receiving. I'm a little bit nervous about TV 45, but uh, you know, Derek Carr last year was a guy you may have picked up in a year where I think maybe the question we have to ask is what went wrong with these other guys? I mean, all the rookies were bad yeah, or not fan, you know, Mac Jones was like boring, useful if you needed a guy for a week or two, but he didn't win you anything. And we've gotten good enough with the Konami code that Jalen Hurts was drafted, that nobody was picking up Jalen Hurts. You had to get him. You had to actually put in capital before the season to get Hurts because his setup was so obvious. We knew he was the guy who could be good, even if he wasn't a real good life, real life player. I'm still not sure if Jalen Hurts is a long term solution. I still think I will say this until I die on this hill that I feel still think Gardner Minshew is the best passer on the Eagles roster. But um, you know, Jalen Hurts is the best fantasy quarterback. But if you guys at home um, are playing the Pianowski Minshew drinking game, drink, finish your drink. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, Gardner Minshew, my guy. Uh, I don't know if I can get Nikhil Harry into this podcast. But we did get Gardner <laughs> Minshew into wow, it. you did it. Wow, Chug. Was there, was there anybody else in that draft that, that was good at receiver? I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe a couple of guys. Pretty good. But so, Carman, yes, I I know we've talked about this a little bit in the offseason, but I would take him over Aaron Rodgers. This is the first year. Nobody goes into a fantasy draft thinking, okay, coming out with Derek Carr. That's that's the plan. But I'm he's, you know, if you want to go red light, green light, yellow light, you want to stay proactive or reactive, he's a proactive pick for me. He's a guy who I can take with a fair amount of confidence because I think he's got a pretty high floor. And I think there's a whiff of upside if the running game craps out, if they get into a lot of high scoring games, if Adams and Carr have most of that connection that they showed a very long time ago at Fresno state, you know, Adams is in that tricky age, right? And we know once the receivers get around 30 into their third, you know, that's the time where the, the dip starts to come. Adams is changing teams. It has been a long time since he's run the stuff that he ran with Carr at Fresno State. So I don't know exactly how much we should apply that. I like the fact they know each other. But I'm also the guy who last year was saying, hey, isn't it great that Sam Darnold and Robbie Anderson have a history? I mean, <laughs> I, I know it's apples and oranges here. It's really apples and lawnmowers. But, you know, sometimes just the fact that guys know each other and have success before, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate into the coming season. But bottom line, I got to put a fine point on this. This is the most open I've been to ever drafting Derek Carr entering the 2022 season. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. This is the this is the first time that I am actively looking to draft Derek Carr. And he's been sort of my late draft solution uh, in a handful of leagues where, you know, for whatever reason, I didn't go quarterback early. I don't normally go quarterback early in a one quarterback league. And I think Derek Carr is a really good late answer. Um, I've I, like I'm sure I've said it on this podcast several times in a 17 game season. I, I think Derek Carr is actually a, a pretty good bet to pass for 5,000 yards. The guy, uh, the guy rarely misses a game, right? I think he's played 15 or more games in every season. 
the big thing that has been missing from his fantasy profile, and I am optimistic that Devontae Adams is a fix for this, is the is the big touchdown season, right? Like last year is 23. I think his career high is 32, which is a good number. And I think I think Adams is exactly this. I mean, you look at the way that Green Bay used him as a as a just an unsolvable inside the five, inside the 10 sort of weapon, I think the Raiders can do much the same thing. There's no, there's no way that the Raiders coaching staff isn't, isn't looking at the way that Devontae was used in, uh, you know, in, in really confined spaces last year. And they, I think they know what they have. I think it's, I think Derek Carr can get to 30 plus touchdowns. And I think you get to 5,000 yards with Renfro, with Waller, if Waller stays healthy. I mean, life gets so much easier for, for Darren Waller with Devontae Adams on the field. I don't, I don't think Waller's going to see 100, 120 targets, anything like that. But it may not matter if he's got, if he's got a more favorable coverage situation. So, I, I so think is, the, Adam still, is Adam still a dunk first-round pick for you? Is he a, whether or not he's a first round pick is an interesting question. I, I have him there. I have him as like a turn pick, uh, in the, in the first and second round. I think that's about where we're going to find him going. Like there's, you, you run into question marks pretty quickly outside the, the absolute top level at receiver. Right. I think, I think we'd probably agree. There's a top, either the top tier for people is Cooper cup by himself or it's Cooper cup, uh, Justin Jefferson and Jamar chase. Right. I think after that, you, you start running into some questions pretty quickly, if only because really good players have been changing teams, but I think Adams is definitely part of that next group. And I, he might be at the head of that group. Uh, and I, and I think, yeah, he's a, you know, if I'm, if I'm picking at the turn and I want to get myself a running back and a wide receiver, Devante is probably the best name that's going to be available to me. If you haven't drafted yet this year, um, be prepared. You will feel, you will be uncomfortable with your team and with your selections. And man, I really don't know what to do sooner than you've ever felt. It used to be like, the, <laughs> it used to be like the fifth round was like, okay, I got to start picking guys I'm not in love with. And then that kind of became the fourth round. And that kind of became, Oh, look at the third round. You can talk down all these guys. Now I'm like, if you don't, if you don't get a guy, you're really excited. But again, I just did an MFL where it's like, okay, I'm going to get cup or chase or Jefferson. I didn't get any of those guys. And now what do I do? Um, yeah. I actually took Austin Eckler, which, which I'm fine with. And, you know, Liz, Liz told me it was a good pick. So no problem with that. But I very quickly got into unsettled ground. I, I didn't see a receiver I liked in the middle of the second round. I ended up with Nick Chubb. Um, there's so many things about the Browns. We also we have all right these now. branded draft philosophies now that, that uh, you know, conflict with each other, right? That you start thinking about very soon in a draft. Oh, should I? Maybe since I took Jefferson in the first round, I should be a zero RB team. And you'll, you'll start looking at the running backs in round four, round five, and you'll be like, oh, people have warned me against the, the dead zone RBs. I shouldn't pick one of these guys, right? Like you just, there's too many, there's too many conflicting, sensible draft philosophies. It is, you know, what? Is, I, 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 go ahead. It, it's funny you say that because I, I think it's important to, you're, you're not the drive through at McDonald's. You don't have to pick like a, a value meal, right? I mean, your draft doesn't have to be like, I'm going to take a number three. Okay. I'm going to take a number five, <laughs> you know, with, with, uh, you know, sub in, sub in this for that. You're not at a Chinese food restaurant here. You know, it's, it's okay to do have an a la carte draft that doesn't have a three word packaging or branding or, yes. you know, attachment to it. Okay. I, and, and that's one reason why I love these best ball drafts so much. You know, I'm on a best ball draft. There's a four-hour clock with it. So I can sit and thoughtfully think about what I want to do and look at the shape of the draft at this point, try to envision um, you know, wh who's picking behind me, what are they likely to do, what, what, what are their roster needs at this point. And I'm not looking to, and not, not every analyst is like this. I think a lot of people go into these things and they're like, okay, well, 
how am I going to draft in a way I can write about it or I can sell it or I can market <laughs> it or I can package it or I, yeah, I, can, I can make a soundbite out of it. It's okay to draft a la carte, you know, and that doesn't mean I don't have thoughtfulness to all my picks, but it's not like, okay, well, I've gone in with this, this hard or let's say you decided you wanted to go whatever it was, robust RB, zero RB, you know, early round quarterback, tight, robust tight end. You still have to you know, say you, you think, okay, I'm going to dominate my league because I want to get the best tight end. I want like Kelsey or Andrews at the turn. And then for whatever reason, your room gave you Jamar Chase. You know, I was in the fantasy football index draft where I picked the number six slot. Uh, Jefferson or Chase, I wanted one of those guys. I forget which one I took. I think I took Jefferson. And then Chase went like 10th or 11th. It made me want to throw up. I'm like, geez, if I had known <laughs> I could have gotten one of those guys that late, I could have totally, you know, done my team differently. So don't you know, walk in with a plan of some sort, but it's going to be in pencil and, and try to take what the room gives you and be ready to pivot to whatever opportunities are available because every draft's going to have some sort of quirk to it, some sort of nuance or, or some sort of opportunity you didn't see coming because there's no way to know until the bullets are flying. And also, I say this all the time, we we do make rankings. We, we make them for magazines. We make them for the Yahoo website. We change them constantly. But you really don't know how you feel about a player pool until you're in a room and the clock is ticking and you 100%. have to make up your mind on something. And that's when that's where the ranks really come from. You draft to tighten up your ranks. It's not like, oh, I'll tighten up my ranks and then I'll, the drafting will just be a going off my list. It doesn't work that way. No, not at all. Uh, one one thing that is that is generally true of pretty much every season. I don't know. We could walk back through every year in the fantasy era and we could probably find running backs who popped up in December, maybe a little, maybe late November, um, who became absolute game changers for fantasy managers last year. Uh, if you'd asked me in November who the waiver ad of the year was, I would have said it was either Cordero Patterson or perhaps it was Elijah Mitchell. And then by the time we got to at Lake, when, when week 17 was over for me, it had pretty clearly been Rashad Penny. Rashad Penny is is the guy I want to start with here, and then I want to get your thoughts on on both Patterson and Mitchell as well. Penny uh, has teased us for years, right? And he became basically a punchline. Um, a guy can't stay healthy. Uh, you know, he's missed a ton of time. He's missed time with significant injuries. He's missed time with what seemed like minor injuries. He's missed a ton of time. He entered week 14 last year, week 14, with 78 rushing yards on the season and no touchdowns. He finished the year with 748 yards and six TDs. Um, so obviously he did all of that in the most important weeks of the fantasy season. Uh, we know that Chris Carson has an injury that, that it's kind of up in the air as to whether he can even possibly make it back from, right? Like it doesn't sound like if Pete Carroll isn't saying super bullish things about you, then, then things are probably really bad. They drafted Kenneth Walker, a really talented running back in the, in the second round. So we know that he's going to be part of the picture as well. So I'm, I guess I'm asking you, first of all, what are we doing with Penny this year? And um, heck, how many how many shares did you have? Did you benefit from the Rashad Penny experience last December? I didn't. And as I think cynical people will think that maybe it's going to shade what I'm ultimately going to say about Penny, which is that I'm very skeptical of what he's going to do this year. I, you got to be careful with this game, but the people he went off against, he went off against Houston. Congratulations. He, he went off against Chicago. Congratulations. Went off against Detroit. Congratulations. Went off against a scuffling Arizona team that couldn't do anything right. The one good defense he faced down the stretch, I guess there were two two good defenses he faced. He faced the Niners 10 for 35. He faced the Rams 11 for 39. And he did almost nothing in the passing game 
And now they have this sketchy situation at quarterback where Russell Wilson's gone. Maybe it's Geno Smith. Maybe it's Drew Locke. I, I guess it's possible if you know, Garoppolo's cut, they could add him, or maybe they they end up being one of the landing spots for Baker Mayfield. And I'm open minded that ba- I, I still think Baker Mayfield can be a plus player. I don't. I'm I'm not thinking he's ever going to be an MVP candidate or never really going to fulfill what a number one overall pick and a Heisman Trophy winner, the type of promise you think they might hold. But he was hurt all last year willing to give him a pass. It's a really tough call what we have to do with those Seattle receivers. I'm, I'm still kind of working through that myself, but I don't like Penny's role. Have, in the have you drafted game. either one of them yet? Like I haven't drafted them. I, you know, somebody invariably I drafted, takes... Lock, I drafted Lockett in a best ball and man, I, I hate playing the best ball. You know, best ball is different card, yeah. but, but best, you know, with Lockett in a best ball draft where I got him, he's a depth player for me. I'm just asking, just have four or five games where you kind of semi blow up. You go over a hundred, you score a touchdown or two. I don't have to guess when they are. I, yeah, remember that Geno Smith, I believe, threw five touchdowns last year. Four of them were to Metcalf. That stuff isn't some. A lot of times, that's more descriptive than predictive. It doesn't mean that's going to carry over year over year. We don't even know if Geno Smith's the quarterback for crying out loud. Not to mention DK Metcalf right now, not happy about his contract. You would think that something will get solved between now and then. Generally, players play. I know Le'Veon Bell didn't feel like playing that one year, but generally, players play. <laughs> Penny, a late, a late relevance to his career, relatively speaking. We know running back shelf lives are very short. I don't like the offense. I don't like the fact that they drafted somebody who might be as good as him right now. Um, although we we wonder if Walker not only will catch the ball, but there's questions about him being able to be reliable in blitz pickup. I'd like to think that anybody who's an NFL athlete at running back could be taught to be reliable and puts pick up. It doesn't seem like that complicated a thing. And you know, Walker had a good work ethic at, at MSU. So I think he has a decent chance to be a, a good pro. But the bottom line is this. When we look at running backs, it's so much about context. And we have to ask ourselves a couple of questions. One, is this guy on a winning team? Is he going to have good game scripts? I can't say that with any confidence about Penny and the Seahawks. Two, is he a three down back? Is he going to get uh, is he on the field in the hurry up? Is he on the field when they're behind? Is he going to catch 40, 50, 60 passes? I don't feel any confidence. Though. Last year, they barely threw the ball to Penny. So I think he's a trap. Uh, he's somebody, he's a, you know, again, green light, yellow light, red light. He's a red light player for me. I do not see myself drafting into any Penny this season. I have Penny and Walker very close in the ranks. Um, I believe the cop right rank. At, yep. Right at this. Yeah. I believe right at the second, I have Walker just ahead. Um, Walker, a really good collegiate player. We don't like we we don't know if he's going to be any kind single of handedly beat Michigan in that great Michigan Michigan State legitimately single handedly did it. Yeah, like his his best games, his best moments were pretty incredible. Averaged over six yards per carry. There's and I know there's a lot of noise in yards per carry, especially at the college level. But like if you're getting the ball that often and everybody knows who the only dangerous player in your offense is and you're still averaging over six yards per carry, that's pretty incredible. Like he was a wonderful college player and they drafted him in the second round which i think says a lot um, which is what a first round running back used to be right yes I mean, that's, a second exactly. round pick is basically saying we well, think this is the first round grade just nobody drafts these guys in the first round anymore yeah so i think i think walker's a really big concern so do you have do you have walker ahead of penny right now i think i have the cop-out rank they're probably yeah. like neighbors yeah yeah but uh, you know it's, which means that walker is going to percolate above above penny probably by uh Although, no, you know, what Pete Carroll, we know he loves competition, right? Pete Carroll will love nothing more than for Penny and, and Walker to be, you know, gritting their teeth and you're breathing fire when they go into practice every day to make Pete Carroll happy. 
they were like we have to play i have to remember that uh they they were done with penny like didn't didn't pick up his uh his fifth year right remember he was a first round pick they didn't pick up his fifth year option and then they were like oh crap you you actually carried us um in the final month of your seattle tenure we probably ought to we probably ought to plus it is it is the um the most inexpensive of the change, right? I mean, it's, you know, Danny Dimes is into a, a prove it year. It could be yeah. maybe a prove it year for Rashad Penny. Um, you know, people are saying maybe we just get rid of change altogether. I mean, yeah, I, I actually walked by two pennies on the street the other day. Didn't even bother <laughs> to pick them up. Wow. That's when you know you've really made it. Uh, you don't even bother to pick up the the loose change that's lying around. Well, what would ground. you bet? What would you bend over to pick up? Uh, a five. Probably start with a five. <laughs> well, not even a dollar. A dollar, <laughs> like, I'm going for a it. Dollar. A dollar, I'm going to look around, make sure I'm not being set up, or you know, I'm not taking it from somebody who, who needs it more than I do. But <laughs> um, yeah, I'm scooping up the buck. I, I actually, I remember um, one time I was going to to brunch with my my lovely girlfriend, and we found two hundred dollars, um, two oh. two C notes, in the parking lot, and and I'm and my thought should have been, uh, you know, somebody needs this money somebody just got paid somebody you know but instead we you know we happily pocketed the money and i walked into the place and thought okay if anybody shows the spread if anybody's at the counter showing their wallet like it was right here you know i'm gonna give the money away but i didn't see that so what i'm gonna say you know anybody lose two hundred dollars raise your hand here i have it for you You know? Oh, I could describe it for you. Was it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Do you have a serial? Look, you just produce a serial number. I'll be happy to give it to you. Um, speaking of found money, uh, Cordero Patterson. Let's talk about him. In his in his ninth season, his ninth NFL season, Scott, on his fifth team at 30? I think he was 30. It, uh, it, you say fifth team. I would have thought like 17 teams, but right, five. Okay. Right. Uh, Bears legend, Vikings legend, Patriots, Patriots legend. Legends. Um, yeah. And, it, and often often a Pro Bowl participant. I mean, you know, oh, absolutely. first special teams play. That guy lives That guy lives in the Pro Bowl, man. Uh, all-time Pro returner. Um, it's him. It's Hester. I don't know how many people belong in the conversation with those two. But all of a sudden, he becomes both a receiver and a running back and was pretty great at, at both uh, – uh, both positions finishes the season over 1100 scrim- scrimmage yards um almost six yards per touch 11 touchdowns 52 catches like career highs across the board at 30 at an age at a at a point in his career arc where no one should have assumed that he would he would do anything of note and he basically finished the year as a running back um he was hardly even a receiver anymore like a lot of his snaps were were basically in the backfield looked almost like a traditional running back by the end of the year. They did add somebody that I'm pretty interested in, in uh, Tyler Algier, uh, uh, fifth round pick, right? So if you're, if your fifth round pick doesn't play, it's not really a, you know, that's not really like you didn't blow it necessarily. That's not, that's not a huge loss, anything like that. They don't have a ton invested in him, but he was a really good collegiate player. Algier at BYU, 1800 scrimmage yards, a million touchdowns a, a season ago enough receptions to prove that he could do it right i think it was just shy of 30 receptions so good player uh with a chance at least to threaten patterson um are you i i'm i'm basically looking at at cpat as like a wow it's magical that that happened i i can't bank on anything like it happening again are you do you feel the same way I do. That's the great Dan Williamson rule where a player late in his career arc just comes out of nowhere and smashes. Just don't follow those players the following season. Now, I do have to say that when breakout years, when unlikely breakout years happen, this can go one of two ways. Either the market can believe in the player and then like, oh, okay, Paris is a fourth round, fifth round pick. 
or the market can say, we don't believe in the player. And the ADP slips enough that you start looking around like, oh, man, do I have to take Patterson? But I'm just afraid there's this could be real pumpkin risk. And and we, you talked earlier about yards per carry not being a perfect metric, but he averaged four yards a carry. I, I mean, he wasn't he was really fun when he was kind of a gadgety player who was more receiver who ran the ball some of the time. I feel like once they committed to him as more of a traditional running back, he just got kind of exposed as a extremely ordinary replaceable average running back nothing special there he's into his age 31 season the mileage is low because of the way he's been used he's mostly a special teams guy but i'm just afraid that patterson could be somebody you draft and you end up dropping now granted you're going to draft him late enough that it's not going to sting that much the round that he goes in if you look around a bunch of those guys are going to get cut anyway in fantasy leagues he's just yeah. the hit rate isn't that strong but look i i liked arthur smith in tennessee and i thought maybe he deserved a lot of credit for what happened with Tannehill and Sure didn't seem like Arthur Smith knew what he was doing last year. And now granted, you know, the rug got pulled out from under him with Calvin Ridley and, you know, Matt Ryan is, you know, on the back nine of his career. Although, man, the Colts are saying such lovely things about him. It's almost like they had Carson Wentz last year. And they view <laughs> Matt Ryan as an upgrade. I, I don't know. But I, I'm not an Arthur Smith guy right now. And I think Patterson is just going to go down as, you know, it's like on Twitter, you know, the super seventies guy will say, you know, to talk about some random season that came out of nowhere, it's near and dear to your heart. And, <laughs> People will say Mark Fidrich or Brady Anderson or, you know, Steve Berline or there's a lot of great answers to that. I think Corderell Patterson is going to go down on that list, too. My Peyton my Hills. answer in the NFL used to be Brandon Lloyd, right? Because um, it, he was like an eighth year breakout. Who 1540? Was it 1540 receiving? Yards? I know he won that receiving crazy. title. Yeah, um, absolutely. Absolutely crazy season in his eighth pro year, like which just doesn't happen. And, but 14, 1448 and he never went over a thousand any other season. He had 11 touchdowns yeah. that that year, never had more than five any other season. We had hyped at, him before. at age 29. Like, yeah, like we, we'd had expectations for Brandon Lloyd maybe early in his career. And then that was done. And he was at a point in his career where you were like, oh, he's still in the league. That's kind of cool. Um, and yeah, they, he was wide receiver, he wide receiver. receiver Wide receiver, uh, starting in the middle of his career, wide receiver 100, 168, 80, 126, 1, 25, <laughs> 28, 99. I mean, the 1 just stands out. That's a, such a great answer to that. And not only is it a great answer, wild. but it's not it's not a trampled answer. Other people may say Lloyd. Um, maybe our, our buddy um, Brad Evans might say Lloyd because he's so tied to the Illinois of Illinois. But um, you, know, you can't say Nick Anderson or Marcus Liberty. You might as well say Brandon <laughs> Lloyd. But... I love stuff like that. Like that 99 Panthers team where Patrick Jeffers had that monster season. Yes, you know, Muhammad yeah. later had a, what, a 16 touchdown season later in his career. I mean, Muhammad was a really good player. The, the Rich Gannon but, MVP, right? Like Gannon was good for a couple of seasons, but yeah, uh, that, that kind of a little bit came out of nowhere. D the Derek Anderson year, the, the Browns, uh, the Anderson Braylon Edwards say. year. Yes. 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 Um, where they, they had a bunch of Alcoa fan, fantastic finishes. It felt like for a two-month period, every one of their games either went to overtime or was decided by something really unusual happening in the final minute. They made the playoffs in Cleveland, which, you know, anytime a Cleveland Brown team makes the playoffs, it's cause for celebration. That was a really fun, watchable team. And this is one reason why I consider myself, I mean, look, I grew up in New England, so, you know, hate me all you want. I, I'm going to root for the Patriots. But, yeah, I don't feel they've won so much. I don't, if they're bad, it doesn't really matter to me. I go where the fun teams are, you know, like the chargers have become fun the last couple of years. They got Herbert, you know, so I've become, I have a soft spot for the chargers. I don't like their ownership. I still think they should be in San Diego. Does it make me particularly sad that the, the Spanos family is squabbling right now? And there's, 
you know, they're hemorrhaging money at the moment, you know, whatever. I mean, a, a better ownership could come into that situation for sure. But um, Justin Herbert's really fun. Yeah, Austin Eckler's really fun. You know, that defense is really fun. I would love it if the Chargers took control of that division this year. But, you know, you, you just go where the fun stories are. And, you know, that, that one Brandon Lloyd season was fun. That one Panther season was fun. I think this Patterson story was really fun. I, I think it's an excellent chance he becomes, again, it's, I talked about, oh, yeah, the Titans were the number one seed last year and Arizona was, you know, 8-0 whatever. You know, we all laughed. They, remember when we used to argue about what position Cordell Patterson played? Now he's <laughs> just on the waiver wire. Um, one other running back we have to hit before before we transition to the tight ends and receivers, uh, and that's and that's Elijah Mitchell. We've talked about it before. Like one of the one of the great failings of beat reporters generally last year was not to give us a heads up on the Trey Sermon Elijah Mitchell situation <laughs> before the before the season was underway because Raheem Mostert, who obviously was in a great position and was was surely going to thrive that he stayed healthy last year, gets injured super early for the Niners and it's Mitchell that comes on and he's immediately great. Um, has a, has a huge, uh, like basically opening week, uh, only played 11 games on the year. Health was a, was a real issue for him. Had 1100 scrimmage yards on the season, uh, 4.7 yards per carry on the year and actually 3.7 yards after contact per attempt, which I want to say was the third best among running backs with over 200 carries. I think that's right. I think it was just Nick Chubb and, and Taylor that finished ahead of him. Um, so just absolutely great year. Barely caught the ball. Uh, only 19 receptions on the year. That's maybe not a huge surprise uh, in, in San Francisco. The Niners did add a, a big back, perhaps, to pair with him in, in Davis Price. I think he goes about 220. Um, maybe he could fall into some goal line carries. But uh, aside from that, it looks like Mitchell's probably the 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 easy number one in that uh, in that backfield. Are you going to be proactive with him? Yeah, I think I'm going to be. But He's somebody who, like, if you and I went into a fantasy football symposium and we, we were, they were going to make us do a faux debate. It's like, okay, Eli Mitchell, you know, you could talk him up or talk him down. I mean, yeah. I, he did not look particularly, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to say spry because he's young and people misuse the, the word spry all the time, but he didn't look particularly juicy in the playoffs. He only averaged uh, 3.1 yards a carry in those three games. I do think. Shanahan likes him, but I mean, you know, Shanahan liked Trey Sermon. They trade, they prioritized and traded up to get Trey Sermon. And it was almost like they wanted to cut him on week three. I mean, he was just immediately in the doghouse. They just decided they couldn't trust him out there. So fourth, fifth round, what is uh, Mitchell probably a fifth round pick right now? I, I can sign off on that. And I know a lot of people are getting conditioned with the running, the quote unquote running back dead zone, that they're just petrified to take anybody in those rounds. I'm here to tell you, you're going to be uncomfortable with your second, third round pick. By the time you're in the fourth or fifth round, <laughs> you're just trying to you're just trying to tell yourself a story of what's the plausible upside here because all their the downside to everybody you take then is going to be I cut this guy in September. That's a yeah. real thing now. So I, I'm more I'm more proactive than reactive with Mitchell. I think he has the chance, and an old carryover seasons with Shanahan hasn't been something we've seen a lot. But I think there's an excellent chance that Mitchell is legitimate. I mean, look, we like young running backs. He's in his second year. Uh, we know they have a, a team that wants to run the ball. They have pieces um, that should enable them to do that. I think he has a good chance of being a top 20 running back this year. And I think I'll have more, whatever a regular market share of Mitchell would be. I think I'll be slightly over that this year. Okay, let's pivot to the let's pivot to the receivers. And I mentioned Rashad Penny earlier as uh, somebody that I thought was 
by the end of the season was the waiver ad of the year and was was uh, certainly a contender for fantasy playoff MVP. I would have gone with the guy you're going to say. I the other the guy the who year. who has a really strong case is Amon Ross St. Brown, right? This guy in his final six games, six games, delivers 51 catches, 560 yards, five touchdowns, had a rushing TD in there, had a two-point conversion in there. He was always scoring. The Lions near the end of the season started to do some really fun stuff with him, too. He wasn't just a slot guy, right? They'd throw him in the backfield. They gave him a little bit of a sort of a mini, you know, Debo role. It was really fun. Amon Ross St. Brown was really fun. He had a lot of these weeks without, you know, not that TJ Hawkinson is some superstar, but he was commanding a lot of targets. You know, Hawkinson injured, DeAndre Swift injured. It wasn't a fully operational Lions offense, um, but it's also one of those seasons where they, you know, they got so much from St. Brown late and he looked so good that there's no way they can, you know, there's no way they can just throw him back in the role that he had early in the year where he might catch four balls for 60 yards um, in a good week. Like, he's going to be a thing. He finished the year with 90 catches, over 900 receiving yards. What are you doing with him in drafts this year? Yeah, proactive for sure. Uh, Double-digit targets in all those games, had at least eight receptions in all those games. And now some people say, well, he's not getting downfield. He's only averaging 10 yards a catch. I say that the type of routes that he wins on and where he lines up in the formation, that's a sustainable business model. As you as you point out, Hawkinson missed the majority of those games. They've added DJ Chark on a one-year prove-it deal. They did draft Jameson Williams, although I don't know when he's going to get on the field. Nobody expects him to be ready after you know, the, the ACL blowout in the championship game. So you know, he's kind of a long-term project for, for Detroit. I wouldn't think he would get in St. Brown's way. And, of course, receivers play different positions. They have different skill sets. I think the important thing to remember here is that Jared Goff's good enough. Jared Goff is not a kingmaker. Jared Goff is not somebody who's going to drag his receivers to greatness. But he had a chemistry with St. Brown, and I think six games is enough where signature significance applies. I don't – and look, I I know you can come up with guys who had runs before. I mean, Tyler Higbee two years ago broke football down the stretch, and I wanted (laughs) to argue that maybe there's signature significance to that. And and all all he's broken since then is my heart and my fantasy rosters because he's done almost nothing the the two following seasons. But – I think it's impossible to do what St. Brown did over that six game sample without being really talented and having an excellent chance to, okay, he's not going to keep, he's not going to be the only show in town the way he was because they're getting all this, all this talent back. They've added other players and everything. So nothing's ever quite the same. We're chasing a butterfly. I I get that, but I got to figure he's going to catch 85, 90 balls again. And he's being, I think, slightly disrespected as early ADP. I think he's a good value right now. I'm also here for, if anybody wants to see Detroit as a sleeper division winner, uh, I've heard some people talk about Dan Campbell, 60 to one coach of the year. I mean, people like Campbell, they were competitive last year. You can talk down every team in this division, something bad happened to everybody else. I don't know. I think Detroit's going to be fun, plucky prop. They're not going to win the division, but I think they're a decent value for that. I think they can easily go seven and 10, eight and nine and have a really fun fantasy season. I think St. Brown's going to be part of it. I did have some of him last year, not as much as I would have liked to, but uh, I, I don't think the mar- I think the market's kind of thumbing their nose up, saying, "Hey, this guy was wasn't an early draft pick." Well, you know, Michael Lazarus, our colleague, will tell you those, these USC, USC receivers seem to pan out more often than not. It's not unusual; one of them with a with a lower draft slot ends up being a really good player. If you were only draft USC receivers, you know, all through <laughs> the years, you'd be doing pretty well. 
Yeah, you and I, you and I are basically in the same spot on Amon Ross St. Brown. I, I feel like if he if he gives us 14, 15 games, he's catching 90 balls easy. This is gonna be this is gonna be a good year. I think he's really well paired with what we've seen Jared Goff do well and what he likes to do over the years. So um really, really well matched with his quarterback. And again, I just I just think what we got from that last month and a half, you can't, you know, you can't put that back in the bottle. Let's actually leave the St. Brown family entirely and and mention Hunter Renfro, because we talked we talked about him earlier with with Derek Carr. This is a guy that was a waiver ad last year as well. And through a, a combination of his own good work and uh, uh, certainly circumstances as well. Again, we mentioned Waller misses a chunk of the season. Henry Ruggs misses half of the season after his arrest. Um, so a, a lot of targets fell into Hunter Renfro's lap. He was great with them. Um, he caught 103 balls on 128 targets, which is which is stupid. That's a that's a catch percentage over 80 percent, which is just I mean, slot guy. Right. Um, a lot of them are short range targets. But still, that's a catch rate that you see from a running back. That is not that's not something that we typically see from a wide receiver. He was fantastic. I think it goes without saying that he's not, you know, he's not going to get the same target total with a healthy Waller and Devontae Adams in town. But my question to you is, what will he do? What will this look like? Because I don't think he just goes back to being like 600 yard Hunter Renfro. I think he's more than that. I think he's a legitimately very good player who has clear rapport, clear chemistry with uh, with Derek Carr. I think like I think there's a, I mean, obviously, I've thrown out 5000 yards as a number for Derek Carr. If that's going to happen. You know, it's not like I'm saying Devontae Adams is going to have 2,500 yards. I think Devontae probably has 14. Um, I think Hunter probably has 900. Maybe he has more than that. Maybe he has 1,000 again. I think Waller can get 1,000. Like, that's what a 5,000-yard season looks like, right? You're going to produce three pass catchers who make a difference for fantasy. Also hit 31 home runs last year. So, you know, um, <laughs> really good year for Hunter Renfro. Of course, it's not the same guy, but same name. The thing with Renfro, I, we're pretty much in lockstep here. I think he's a good player. I think there's a genie out of the bottle with Renfro, and so that doesn't go back. And last year we saw a good example of it wasn't that long ago where teams, when they would throw at the goal line, it's like, okay, we got to throw to our big guy. We got to throw to our tight end. We got to throw a fade pass to somebody in the corner of the end zone. And teams have gotten wise to the fact that it's a game of quickness. It's a game of chemistry. And so a guy like Hunter Renfro, 5'10", 185, scored nine touchdowns last year after only having four and two in his first two seasons. The problem is now you have Devontae Adams, and Devontae Adams is a touchdown scorer. Devontae Adams already has nine touchdowns in his back pocket. That's like an yeah. offseason for him. I mean, it's easy to think that he could easily score you know, 13, 14, 15. He could lead the NFL in touchdown catches. So does Hunter Renfro go back to scoring six or five or seven or something like that? I, I think a projection of maybe like, 93 catches around a thousand yards and something like five, six, seven touchdowns seems reasonable for Renfro. He might be somebody you could land as the third receiver on a fantasy team. Really good PPR guy. I think he's going to keep most of what he did last year. I just have to regress the touchdown numbers down, but I'm a believer that Hunter Renfro can play. I want to toss one more receiver out there. Uh, only one. And this is a guy who didn't even really pop last year. Like, had some moments, flashed a little bit, um, never really gave us a monster week, but he is he is just absolutely set up. Uh, assuming the Ravens don't do something really uh, bold, yep, assuming I the Ravens don't, there. yeah, assuming the Ravens don't, like, I don't know, I guess, I guess Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf are still up for grabs, perhaps. Um, but if the Ravens receiving core stays the way it does, I don't know how Rashad Bateman doesn't, doesn't go off this year. Um, 
player, you know, a little bit of a pet player of mine, obviously only played 12 games last season, got off to the slow start because he was, he was injured for all of, all of September into October, um, finished with just over 500 receiving yards on the year, only scored once, but again, and then had limited time right in the back half of the season with Lamar because Lamar Jackson, uh, had the injury as well, but Marquise Brown is gone. Sammy Watkins, you know, kind of a punchline of a player, I guess, in recent years, but he's gone too. And the combination there leaves almost 200 targets up for grabs. Um, a lot of those got to go to Bateman. I don't know how many more Andrews can handle, right? Um, so expectations for Bateman last year. He is, I, it should go without saying that he's somebody that I'm going to be a little bit proactive with. Uh, how about you? Yeah, this is a, a rare disagreement with us. And it's not that I'm pounding the table on it, but because the ADP with Bateman, is expecting him to improve. Look, we, we, you get it. The, the vacated targets, the fact that they let Hollywood go. And again, receivers play different roles and they do different things well. So it's not like an apples for apples comparison, but they obviously are envisioning a second year step up for Bateman. Certainly the role is going to expand. They would hope he'd be healthy for the full season. I'm just worried they didn't play all that much last year. He got in limited games in his final Minnesota season. He's really productive when he played. We only played five games that year at Minnesota. So we're going back a few years before he, since he's really been a destructive guy. I just don't like that you have to bake in a significant step forward in his production to draft him. So I'm probably not, not going to get Bateman this year because I just think that it's one of those, he's become kind of a hipster pick. And I, I don't know, I'm just kind of allergic to buzz. I'm allergic to hipster picks and, I don't think I'll have a lot of them, but everything you're saying is plausible. I, I can't say that you're wrong on that. I just don't want to bake it into his ADP. And right now I feel like to some degree that's happening. Can I, can I just ask, do you, do you feel the same way? Cause these guys go in, uh, uh, you know, similar spots in a lot of drafts that I've been in. Do you feel the same way about Gabe Davis? Because Gabe Davis has a little, like, obviously we saw the, the monster performance from him in the playoffs. Um, there is a path for Davis to make a whole lot of fantasy noise. He's, he's flashed more than certainly more than Bateman has in their, in their pro careers, but it's not like we've ever had a monster season from Davis either. And he's also a guy where, where a significant jump is completely baked in. That's a great, that's a great question and, and a great comp. When, if we were talking two months ago and we were anticipating there would be kind of a spirited bidding for Gabe Davis and you'd have to maybe do a little elbowing, I'd be like, okay, I'll mix up the elbows. <laughs> but I feel like this is like a, a Filene's basement sale where there's one <laughs> wedding dress, you know, that's really worth $1,500 for 35 bucks. And there's like 10 women, you know, tacking each other for it. I, I think the pricing for Gabe Davis has gotten ridiculous to the point that it, I'm just, I mean, look, he's he's not never going to be the number one receiver there. We know that. And maybe Josh Allen keeps some of his touchdowns rushing. Maybe he doesn't. Singletary's a good player. I think Jamison Crowder's going to have a, a role here. Uh, I don't know how much longer we're talking the show, but we should also mention that, that Dawson Knox was a really good tight end last year if you played the market. Um, a lot of it was touchdown deodorant, but whatever. I mean, he can win in all three levels. Dawson Knox is a good football player. What a great what if. What if that old Miss team had a good quarterback? Because oh, apparently they, did, they didn't. But Seriously. man, did they have skill talent, man? That's now I'm starting to feel the Keel Harry PTSD kicking again. But <laughs> um, yeah, you know, DK Metcalf, uh, Dawson Knox, they had some really good players. There's another receiver I'm not thinking of right now who was good on that team, too. Uh, Elijah Moore went to Ole Miss as well. He's an interesting breakout pick this year. I, I think the people want to, they want to be first to things. And the, urge to want to be first to Bateman or first to Davis in his, in his, you know, last year he, he did it in the playoffs. You know, he really wasn't that great in the fantasy regular season. 
it, it just is a shiny new toy element to Davis. I think that means he's going to be overdrafted a little bit. I, and I thought I'd be at least average weight on Davis this year, maybe even a little bit overweight. I think it's actually going to go the other way. I think the market's just gotten too Gabe Davis happy. And there's a lot of mouths to feed in that Buffalo offense. It's still that they, they have the best quarterback for fantasy, but he's going to run some of those in. And what if the defense, you know, they're going to be favored just about every week. What if they control some games? And it's like, okay, well, let's just ice, ice this game with a running attack. You know, let's, Josh, you only got to throw 25 passes today, 30 passes today. They may have some games like that. I think Gabe Davis is set up to be, I don't think he's going to flop by any means, but I think right now he's set up to be a fantasy disappointment. Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty good. I guess that's a pretty good call. Uh, I have some Gabe Davis. I have more Rashad Bateman. Uh, I like them both. I think that, I think the key issue with Gabe Davis is there's, as long as Stefan Diggs is, ha- is, is healthy, there's just absolutely no path for Gabe Davis to, to emerge as the number one. I think there's a, I think you can tell yourself a pretty, a, I don't know, a pretty plausible story about Rashad Bateman emerging as the number one for Baltimore for whatever that means. Um, and just to just to finish your point on Ole Miss, what what if I told you there was once a college team that had AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, Van Jefferson, Dawson Knox? Yeah, like that's I, a wild, Brown's right? guy I was thinking of, and, and as you mentioned, Jefferson's a really good player too. You, you know, there's that, that team went that, six and six, Scott. That team went six and six. That was wild, unbelievable. AJ Brown, man. AJ Brown and DK Metcalf were in the same draft, right? Yeah. Okay, you know what I'm saying. Um, I want to hit the, the tight ends. The thing, I want to say one, just one more thing yeah. about Gabe Davis. Just one more thing. Where you have to draft Gabe Davis, if I'm going to draft a number two receiver on his own team, I want to be able to tell myself a story other than injury, of course, where that player could take over as his team's number one receiver. And as you pointed out, that's just never going to happen with Stephon Diggs if he's healthy. Yeah. Where now, I realize T. Higgins goes earlier, but I mean, if, if I told you, like, say, Allen Robinson had a better year than Cooper Cup, it would be surprising, but it wouldn't like be the shock of the century, right? I, 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 it would be shocking to me if Gabe Davis in a full healthy season was better than a, a fully healthy Stephon Diggs. I just don't think it's in the reasonable range of outcomes. The only the only question that I want to ask at tight end, and you've already introduced Dawson Knox, is I think that I think the two great success stories from the waiver wire last year at tight end were Hunter Henry, who I had none of because Hunter Henry kept having these like, you know, three catch 30 yard games with a touchdown like he kept All scoring touchdown touchdowns. To no volume, no volume whatsoever. No yard. He had to score a touchdown. Or you were screwed. But he and Dawson Knox ended up with basically the same season statistically. Did they each have nine touchdowns? It was something like that, right? Knox is obviously the guy that is that is tied to the, I think we would agree, the, you're a Patriots fan, but I think you, we would agree the more explosive offense and the better quarterback, right? Um, so is it, sure. are, you, are you Knox above Henry coming into this season? And how much regression should we expect from Henry? Oh, I'm absolutely Knox above Henry. I, I think Henry's just a bad pick. He didn't have a lot of volume down the stretch. And the Patriots passing tree is really crowded with guys who do different things and they don't care. They, they're not a team that goes out of its way. Like, I, like if some player had like a stretch of games with a completion or something, a, a reception, they wouldn't care about extending a streak like that. You know, they don't, they don't pay mention to pay mind to that type of thing. I, I could see Hunter and Henry, Henry remember before last year, we we're always worried about him getting hurt. Grant, that's kind of a tight end thing anyway, but he could easily have like 450 yards and three touchdowns. If you get nothing else out of this podcast, I think Hunter Henry, and I know he's not being drafted that aggressively. He's like a second tight end for a lot of people. He'll get best ball drafted. When I was looking at tight ends in my best ball draft, a position I did not prioritize, Hunter Henry was basically somebody I wasn't going to select. I mean, I'd rather have an aging Zach Ertz. 
I, I might even maybe take a chance on Gerald Everett. Now these with the chargers. Um, maybe I could talk myself into Cole Komet. Um, if you want to wait a little bit later, I don't think Austin Hooper's totally done. And there's a lot of targets up for grabs in Tennessee. I could see him having a bit, a little bit of a renaissance. Don't draft Hunter Henry this year. I think it's a big mistake. Yeah, I think the other thing that I want to mention about Dawson Knox is that he played through like a didn't he play through a broken hand last year. Yeah, sounds um, bad, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're a you're you know at least part of your job is catching footballs. Playing through a broken hand seems. What I like hard. about Henry is he can win on all three levels. He he's a legitimate tight end who can run by people. Where I think a lot of these other tight ends it's like the flip at the goal line. Oh, also, and this guy may become a hipster pick. I don't think he's a hipster pick yet, but uh, Irv Smith after missing a full season, still really young. Uh, his father was an NFL tight end. I could definitely see a season. Uh, they get Conklin's out of town now. I could see Irv Smith having like a 725 and seven season. I think that's in his reasonable range of outcomes. I'd like to have some Irv Smith. That's a good note for us to go out on because Conklin's a guy that we mentioned all last year and he really didn't do a thing when we mentioned no. him. He had that Nor one did game. Tim Patrick. We almost named the, the podcast after Tim Patrick. Although I'll tell you what, best ball, man. I love Tim Patrick as a depth guy. I do not want to play the game of, is this the week the roulette wheel lands on Tim Patrick? Because it will four or five weeks. I have no idea when. Is there a receiver in um, Denver that you're percolating towards? Are you finding yourself with a lot of Sutton or Judy? Are you yeah, waiting Sutton. for it's, Sutton? It's okay. definitely been Sutton. Um, and it, I th- I think it's weird that uh, Sutton and Judy go uh, near each other. I, I I think it's weird every time I see Judy go ahead of him. I mean, I like I think I understand the case for Jerry Judy, and and I I, I like the notion. Um, I would I would love it if we get another superstar receiver. He's, I mean, he's one of those guys that's not done it, and we're we're pricing in uh, this idea that he's just gonna be Tyler Lockett, right? Like, maybe I don't know, maybe I I just know that Cortland Sutton has already had the eleven hundred yard season. He's already like, granted, it was pre injury. Maybe you think there's, uh, you know, he's he's compromised since the injury happened, and he's not going to be the same guy. But like he had a he had a big year with nothing at quarterback, and Jerry Judy as well has played through some injuries, has dealt with injuries uh, in in recent seasons, and that's been part of the issue along with Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater. But I mean, Sutton's done it, and Sutton with Russell Wilson is, uh, in my mind, uh, that that's not going to fail as long as as long as both players stay healthy. I think Judy can reach a pretty high level, but somebody, somebody in every draft is is always convinced that Jerry Judy is going to be the star on that team. So I never end up with him. How much Wilson are you getting? Uh, that's a that's a really interesting question too, because in uh, you know I mentioned earlier that I I'm I'm comfortable waiting at quarterback in one quarterback leagues because my I know that my worst case scenario is Derek Carr. Um, but Russell Wilson is another one of those guys where I'm not, I'm not, whereas you're probably proactive about Russell Wilson. I think he's, a, I think he's a bit of a pet player for you. Um, I'm still happy to get him. I've definitely priced in this idea that he's not going to run anymore. Um, I'm yeah, really worried about the it, lack that's of running the last year. Now, but I like him. I kind of like him in a breakup season. I think Russell Wilson yeah. is going to be, not that any quarterback is like, oh, if I do well, I do well. If I don't, I don't. But I like Russell Wilson in a post-breakup season, kind of like how Brady won the breakup with the Patriots. I think Russell Wilson's going to win the breakup, not just this season, but I, mean, I think he's going to throw for like five touchdowns on that first Monday night game. I can't wait to see it. If you've lasted this long on this podcast, I know it's only because you want to know the answer to the NFL Coach of the Year oh, trivia. Oh, yeah. Okay. Give so um, Jimmy Johnson, uh, his first year in Dallas, they went 1-15. Uh- did not win coach of the year that year. Shockingly did get no credit for that one, one win the next year. They improved to seven and nine. 
and Jimmy Johnson was your NFL coach of the year in, in 1990. And then um, the next year they made the playoffs. They lost to the Lions in the playoffs. The Lions won a playoff game. And then the two years after that, they won the uh, they won I the believe Super they would have lost in the playoffs to coach of the year Wayne Font, right? There you go. Well, when you, you know, when, when you get two coaches together, like Jimmy Johnson and Wayne Fonts, <laughs> you know, anything is possible. But yeah, so Jimmy Johnson is the only coach of the year who's been um, with a losing record. Uh, had some dudes on that team, uh, as it as it turns out as well. Yeah, also they made, um, you know, the fantasy takeaway. Nobody should ever be untradeable. Uh, somebody came to them with a yeah. godfather offer for Herschel Walker. He said, OK, you want to stock your franchise for the next, you know, five, six years? Uh, here you go. Here's a bunch of picks. And um I think that w- trade worked out for the for the Cowboys pretty well. Although worked Herschel, reasonably well, you know Herschel. I would have no problem if Herschel were in the Hall of Fame. I don't know why the profession. It's the Professional Football Hall of Fame. It's not called the NFL Hall of Fame. It's called the Professional Football Hall of Fame. But so far as I can tell, they don't give you credit for USFL. They don't give you credit for. I don't think they give you credit for CFL as far as somebody's resume. I mean, you'd have to ask the individual voters on that. If you consider what Herschel did with the USFL, I I think he's a Hall of Famer in my mind. Uh, yeah, it ridiculous seasons in the, in the USFL and a pretty good NFL player as well. And just an utterly unstoppable college player. Underrated was a really good receiver. You know, I'll leave you with this. What makes a player, you know, Bill James said, what makes a player underrated and overrated that the the specialists tend to be overrated and the guys who are good at a lot of things tend to be underrated. And that's so true at running back where Jerome Bettis was a really good two down player, but didn't <laughs> catch the ball. And, and look, he had longevity at a position where so few players do. That does mean something. If, if Bettis did make the Hall of Fame as he did, I could live with it. But like when he went in before people like Terrell Davis and there's running backs like Ricky Waters, I think was better than Jerome Bettis. I think Tiki Barber was definitely better than Jerome Bettis. And it illustrates that we don't understand as a NFL media just how valuable the pass catchers are and the versatility of Chuck Foreman has a hall of fame case as far as i'm concerned warwick dunn is like a borderline hall of famer to me but i I think a lot of times again go back to bill james the guys who are good at a lot of different things often underrated the guys who are specialists often tend to be overrated man if you're playing the pianowski drinking game you really got crushed in this episode because wow we finished off with him with him disrespecting jerome bettis that's i know he checked all the food groups great. (laughs) really really did we got a kale harry bingo card is full (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, was a, that was a rich episode. That is going to do it uh, for this episode. You can, of course, follow him on Twitter at Scott underscore Pianowski. You can follow me at Andy Barons. Of course, you want to be sure that you're following at Yahoo Fantasy. Liz and Dalton going to be back on Wednesday with, some very, with a very early look at training camp battles. Uh, until then, we are out. <laughs>